Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. One definition of praise I found was that praise is a intense focus, a proclamation of the awe and the wonder of who God is and what God has done. And when we gather together, this is really more of a time of praise. It's celebration, it's gratitude, it's thankfulness. And we've established through the series, worship is uh, more of a place of, yes, it's our singing, but it's our living. It's what we do Monday to Saturday. Worship is it the hour and a half that you're here on a Sunday of what you bring God. Um, it's a part of it, but the full picture of is a lifestyle of worship. We talked about how there's always rivals for your worship, that a rival or an idol can be a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. And I pray throughout these last several weeks that I, idols have been defined and that they've been dethroned because there's always gonna be a rival that wants to keep you bound, that wants to say, worship me because I'm your way out. I'm your fulfillment. I am your satisfaction. I'm the path to pleasure. Uh, and me personally, God has been just pouring into me through the Exodus story because it's a story um, that just isn't uh, something we account or uh, something we just look to, but it's a story that we see even in the New Testament that is relived, that is, um, that is connected into even Moses is a type and a prefigurement of Christ. So we see pictures of Christ through Moses. We see us here and now, we are on an exodus. We are on a journey toward a promised land, toward a Canaan that is far better than a land flowing with milk and honey. There is a kingdom that awaits us. And in this life, in this moment, we're given repentance, we're given refreshment, we're giving praise and worship and prayer, the mysteries, the sacraments. God gives us everything we need to become more like him, to grow in him. Paul, if you read the, the epistles in the New Testament, Paul is all about spiritual growth. And he implores and exhorts and encourages the church, you've gotta grow. Because if you aren't growing forward, you're declining. You are regressing. You're falling into patterns of sin. Idols are having a bigger place in your life than Jesus on the throne. And so before we get into the word today, I want you, and I believe a new dimension of praise is gonna be unlocked in your life. Because prophetically where we're at is the whole pandemic, the pandemic of fear, um, that we're still lingering in. Our world is more fearful than it's ever been. There's looming questions of, are we entering into a recession? Um, is there still family members that are still dealing with side effects of COVID, job loss, that we're kind of dealing in the fray of what uh, seed was planted in 2019. And so as we look into the future, the overall um, heartbeat or the overall feelings and um, uh, of what people feel is it looks darker than it looks brighter. And as we go to God's word today and look at the story of Exodus, I believe we're, I feel God showed me two things that are going to be empowerment for you of how to thrive in a wilderness, how to thrive in an Exodus, because you can be in a place of where you just get by where you, where you just survive, but that's never God's best. That God has blessing, he has provision, he has resources for us where God's people don't survive in famine. Guess what we do? We build in famine. God's people aren't subject to the laws and rules of the economy that we sit under in the United States of America. We're given tools and resources to show God's faithfulness when everyone else is worrying about 401ks, retirements, uh, hours, you name it. We should be a peculiar people, a different people showing a different value ethic, living by a better word. And we're gonna see in the story of Exodus today how God's people got it wrong 
time and time and time again. But we see the mercy and the compassion of a good God who is teaching them something, who is forming something within them. Because if you go into your promised land unequipped, unprepared, you're going to miss it. And what, here's, the, here's the big idea today. Is if you go into your promised land and you've not been tested, tried, refined, then when you get it, the very thing that you believe God for will become an idol and you will turn from the God who gave it. You will worship the creation over the creator. And so if you want to increase your capacity for God to resource you, to bless you, not to just bless you for the sake of blessing you, but to be a blessing to other people, to be a blessing to your neighbor, to be a blessing to your family, for it to be a tool to reach and to care and to, and to love and to do what the word of God teaches us to do, you've got to allow the testing and the trying to take place. You know, I was thinking as we were worshiping too, is um, the church was officially, gathering place was established in 1984. And in 2024, uh, that will mark 40 years we've been a church on paper. And it's crazy to think 40 years in the making. And I think about what God's people had to go through of how that time of, of being in Egypt was their infancy stage. But when they went into the Exodus, it's like they were in an elementary stage that the Exodus was an unlearning of Egypt. And um, I don't know about you, but I have faith enough to believe that the first 40, 40 years of us as a church, of us as a ministry, of what God's done in your life are gonna pale in comparison to what's gonna happen these next 40 years. Because we're not gonna keep circling the mountain. We're gonna get what God has for us in the season he has us in. Let's not be a generation that has to die off for another generation to enter in because they didn't get it. See, many of us, we, if we don't get it, God forgave their sins, but there was consequences of the sin. I don't want us to be that kind of people. And Paul says this, and here's where we begin the sermon. You can be seated. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, Corey. We're just going to keep flowing in it. Is that okay? We've prayed enough already. We'll pray at the end. But look what he says. He says this. He says, now all of these things happen to them, talking about God's people, talking about the first generation of Israel. He said, all of these things happen to them. So the exodus, Egypt, the wilderness, all of these things happened to them and were written for whose admonition? For ours. They were written for our sake, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You see, at the ascension of Jesus going to the New Testament, a new era, a new dimension, a new disposition began, the end times. When Jesus ascended, the end of the age began. And we are a people now living in the end times, waiting for, as, for the final day, for the last day. We're in the end times, but we are waiting for the last day when Jesus comes back for his bride. So the time between the ascension of Jesus to when Jesus makes his final return, we're given the word of God. We're given a blueprint of how we are to thrive in Babylon, how we're to not just get out of Egypt, but get Egypt out of us. How do you know in the story of God, it wasn't that hard getting God's people out of Egypt, but it was a process to get Egypt out of God's people. And see, many a times when we come to Christ, maybe it's later in life, uh, we get uh, put in a process of being discipled, of being catechized, of learning God's word, learning truth, applying truth, seeing the transformative process happen in our lives. The thing I've come to find is that you will never experience the fullness of transformation unless you unlearn some things. See, many times we try to go into a relationship with God or into a new season, taking everything that we have, not checking it, not repenting of things, not leaving some baggage behind, we try to bring it in with us where God's saying, that's never intended to go with you anymore. You've got to shed that. You've got to unlearn that. And looking at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we just finished a series in Corinthians, is he's telling 
this to a church that is young, to a church that is Gentile, to a church that is pagan, to a church that is messing up more than they're getting it right. And he's saying, let's go back to the first generation and let's learn from them. And here's, here's the truth I've come to find in life, is we learn one of two ways. We either learn from a mentor or we learn from a mistake. And I don't know about you, but I would rather learn from a mentor than I would a mistake. I've had my mistakes. I learned from my mistakes. And God has grace in our mistakes. But he gives us mentors and he gives us his word. He gives us um, patriarchs and matriarchs of, in the Bible to say, hey, learn from me. The Bible is the most honest book you will ever read. It's not a highlight reel of, look how amazing the victories of God. But you see the sin of man. You see the cursing of man, you see the good, the bad, and you see a whole lot of ugly. And so we can learn from the transparency of God's word to not repeat these mistakes. And as we see Paul imploring and encouraging a church in the New Testament to go back to these things, we've got to revisit them regularly. And, and quite honestly, is we are in a wilderness or in a, in a season that in our country and in our Society that is so ridden and plagued by pestilence, by fear, not knowing what's next, I think it would do us well to go back regularly and see what did God's people go through? How did they handle? What were their mistakes? What were their wins? And how can we apply it to our lives? We ready to dive in today? All right, I'm gonna pray right here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you through this series of what does the Bible say as we look at the way praise was a weapon for your people. God, where the enemy wants to shut the voice of the church, where our spiritual enemy wants to mute and to silent and to quench our faith, to quench the weapons you've given us. God, we aren't on the defensive as a church. We are on the offensive. And God, I pray that you awaken praise in the heart of your people, that there be an awe and a wonder of who God is and what he has done that we not forget. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So when you go back to God's people being in Egypt, everybody say Egypt. So in Egypt, we see in Exodus 1 through 12, we see God come to Moses and we hear God say to Moses that I've heard the groan of my people. Now, I want to make a distinction here when you go and you read that selection of Scripture. You can read it on your own. But a, and a very important distinction is when God heard the groans of Israel, the church will tell us that they weren't actually praying to the God of Israel. They were just groaning. And the groan got so loud that God heard it. And the reason I make this distinction is, is that Israel was so enslaved Israel was so far gone and used to a lifestyle of centuries in Egypt that they had forgotten God. You've got to know this about the Exodus, the Israel story, is they had forgotten God. And even to the point where Moses, at the burning bush, when he says, who is this, he takes off his, his sandals, it's holy ground. He didn't even know the voice of who was speaking to him until it was revealed. So you've got to know this about their leader, and you've got to know this about the people, is they had forgotten God. And see, this is what slavery will do. When you're grinding and bound and enslaved and in a system of oppression, is they were all in to what Egypt had to say. And you've got to see this because it brings a little more clarity and light to how they respond to when change and transformation begins to come. And so you see that God's people forgot in the land of Egypt. And we see and we know that as Moses comes, what begins to happen? He begins to bring and confront Pharaoh. And one through ten, all of the plagues that come, which were a sign of God acting and a sign to remind Israel of the power of God. See, the enemy wants you to forget how powerful your God is. But... God's people began to get a front row seat to the action, to the energy, to the movement of the God that they serve. And you can begin to picture how they begin to remember. 
Maybe they began to remember the patriarchs that had gone before that they had forgotten. They dusted off some of those scrolls and began reading, wow, this, was, this is who our God is. We remember we see him acting and we see him moving now. What I find interesting is God begins to move. I, I think it's after the first plague is Israel actually gets mad at Moses because when things start going south for Egypt, Pharaoh comes down a little harder on the slaves and they confront Moses and they say, Moses, shut your mouth, stop talking to Pharaoh. You're making us now have to go pick our own straw is what the scripture says. So they get frustrated and angry at Moses who's trying to liberate them from their enslavement, from their oppression. And see, what you gotta see is, is, is they're in this uh, moment of being set free. It's not all making sense to them in the moment and they're not looking into the future. They're just dealing with what's costing them in the present, which quite frankly uh, has a lot to do with being set free is it's usually a momentary pain for a long-term gain. And so we see God acting. We see through the plagues. Um, we get to the last plague. Pharaoh finally relents. He has a hardened heart. He says, get out of here. You're free. Go. And God's people go on the move. They go on the run. This brings us to Exodus chapter 14. And in Exodus chapter 14, we're given a picture of where God's people are standing uh, at the rock. Is, is what scripture will say. And uh, it, it is even, I think the Hebrew word, I wrote it down is pay, pay, wrath. And this word means uh, known as the mouth of the gorges. So they're standing on each side, the mouth of these gorges. They have the Red Sea in front of them and they have an enraged army that is now pursuing them because as Pharaoh let them go, he changes his mind. He looks out and sees all of his free labor is gone. How are we going to build? How are we going to advance? Um, and he changes his mind. And in passion and pain and uh, rage, he sends um, the fury of his army to go pursue the people, God's people that he had let go. And so God's people get and they stand. And you're going to see their response as you read it. Um, they don't trust God yet. And they begin to question, have you brought us here to die? Look what it says. It says, then they said to Moses. So this is a response as they stand at a crossroad. They just saw God move, keep in mind, through the 10 plagues. They've been set free, but Egypt, it's still a long way to get it out of them. Look what it says. It says, and this is sarcasm. You got to catch this. This is funny. They say to Moses, Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? So they say, we already told you this would happen, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. When you think of the sarcasm in this comment, wasn't there enough graves back in Egypt? What is the main piece of architecture that they would be building day in and day out? Pyramids. What were pyramids? Graves. So to connect the two here, they're saying, we build graves all day. Now you've brought us out here to die in a grave. And so they're frustrated. They're mad at Moses. Where are you taking us? What's happening? Where... What, what is gonna be of this moment? And clearly they don't trust Moses and they don't trust God. In other words, they would rather be enslaved than to trust God. They would rather go back to Egypt, which represents the world, than to trust God. Let me bring it to today. We have a generation that would rather go back to Egypt than trust God, that does not know God, does not know the power of God, has not seen God move, and there's a generation that if they don't know how God moves or see how God moves or experience them for himself, they would rather be enslaved to pleasure. They would rather be enslaved to likes, to what makes them feel good, enslaved to their feelings. That we've got to be loud and proud about who our God is. 
and know that a generation needs to see how God moves. So here they are, and God's about to teach them a lesson. And that we see this here, that we have this tendency within us. It can be burrowed, burrowed pretty deep. It can be surfacy, depending where we're at in our relationship with God. That the minute we're put to the test to trust, trust God, we fail. We cower. We back down. We back away. And so you've got to see yourself here in the story of are you going to be a, a, a person that doesn't trust God? Or are you going to go with the crowd that is questioning Moses and, and where they're at and being delivered in the process that's in place? Or are you going to have faith and trust that God can do a miracle? So we see what happens here, and we see the word of God. And I, and I believe this is a word for some of us here today. In Exodus 14, 13, we see what Moses says to the people. He says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see your salvation. I'm going to say that again. You need to get this in your spirit. When whatever battle you're looking at, whatever circumstance you're looking at, do not be afraid. Stand still. Stop being anxious. Stop being frantic. Stop trying to manipulate and get your hands on it all. And see your victory. See your salvation. So this is God's word through Moses to the people. Is I'm about to do something here that really has nothing to do with you at this point or at this moment. So he says, don't be afraid. Stand still and see your salvation. And he says, which the Lord, that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. Not just tomorrow, but forever. And hear what the, what the Lord says. And this is, if you're taking notes, this is your first lesson of what we learn from a desert generation, what we learn about praise, is that the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Could anybody use God to fight some battles for you while you hold your peace? See, there is a fight that you can engage in that you don't have to lose your peace. Some of you are fighting and it's not from a place of peace. It's a place from insecurity. It is a place from lack. It is a place from uncertainty. It is a place not from trust, not from peace, but from fear. And I believe the word of the Lord to us today is, is you got to stand still. You don't need to be afraid. And you need to see that there is salvation on the horizon. And so this is his word. He says, the Lord is about to fight for you. And this is a promise that we have is God's people as Israel, the apple of his eye, the church, is that God will fight for us, that God is sovereign, God is providential, that he is working when we don't see it, when we don't know it, when we don't smell it, when we don't hear of it, he is working, and he does his best work in the dark when we don't even know what's happening, but he has a way of opening our eyes, and this is what he's doing to God's people and he's putting vision and he's putting purpose and he's, he's putting the word of the Lord in their hearts, but he's also putting it before their eyes because the word of God is not just heard, it's demonstrated, it is seen, it is felt, it is known. And the, the Bible says, as you read on, it says an east wind begins to blow and this east wind that begins to blow is a representation of the Ruah of God, the Holy Spirit. So it's a picture of what happens when the spirit of God gets involved that the wind begins to blow, and as the wind blows, a miracle happens before their eyes, and the water parts. And as the water parts, they see a pathway to their salvation. You know the story, God's people see a miracle, and we're like, well, we know this is the way we're supposed to go. So they begin walking, and they begin uh, moving forward, and as they look back, they see that the army is approaching on chariot and is fierce and fast and coming for blood. So God's people walk through. Can you imagine looking to your left and to your right and seeing these towers of water and seeing that I'm in the middle of a miracle happening? And so they walk through and they get to the other side and the waters collapse and Pharaoh's army is defeated and no longer a threat. And so we see God teach them this principle, and I love Exodus 15 because here's what we see them do. Here's what we see God's people do after they get a miracle, after 
they get a breakthrough, after they see God's providence, his sovereignty, his blessing. In Exodus chapter 15, this is known as the Song of Moses. What do they do? They praise, they sing, they memorialize, encapsulate the moment in a word of praise, in a word of song. And see, in, a fa- in the fast-paced, busy world we live in, do we ever stop to actually thank God for the little breakthroughs or for the Red Sea breakthroughs of our life? Because if we don't take the time to stop, to encapsulate, to memorialize, and just thank God, keep him first, remind ourselves that he has fought a battle, then you're going to miss the power of the moment. You're going to miss what he's trying to not just do for you, but even more importantly, teach you a principle, a moment that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life, that's going to shape you, change and shift your identity closer and closer to who Jesus is. So you read through Exodus chapter 15, and it ends that the Lord shall reign forever and ever. So God's people are getting a vision of a God who acts on their behalf, a God who fights their battles, a God who is present, who isn't far off and and just keeping them in bondage and keeping them in slavery. So even through the complaining, God still acts. And as a people who is so quick to complain, aren't you thankful God still acts on our behalf? (laughs) Because we are so quick to complain before we praise. We complain before we praise, honestly. And I believe a change and a shift can happen in your life if you praise before you complain. And this is what God's going to begin to teach his people. But they, they stop and they worship and they praise God for what he's done. But we see um, even as we go deeper in understanding what praise is, is yes, it is God fighting your battle. But that doesn't mean you sit over in the corner, you become a pacifist, you never pick up a sword, you never open your mouth, and you never partnership with God in the battle. See, most of us would love to just wait and be a spectator and watch God just fight the battle. You do it, God. I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm going to grab my popcorn. I'm going to get my favorite beverage and just wait a couple years and watch you just wave your hand over my family, wave your hand over my finances, let go and let God, right? And there's truth in all of these things, but you're going to miss it unless you see what he's about to deepen within them about their praise. You go to Exodus chapter 17, and you see the, uh, the battle of the Amalekites against Israel. And later on in uh, Deuteronomy, we come to find of who were those targeted in Exodus chapter 17 from the Amalekites. And you'll see the details in Deuteronomy that it was um, uh, women and their children. It was the elderly that the Amalekites were pursuing the weakest among Israel, showing for the cowards that they were. So guess what? God gets involved, and a word comes forth through Moses, and Moses tells Joshua it's time to fight. This will be the first time that Israel actually picks up a sword and goes to war, but with God fighting the battle with them. So there's partnership. So before they could ever pick up a sword, God had to show who he was and say, this is how you're to fight. This is who you're to fight for. And now it's time that you get engaged in the battle. See, as God's people, if the enemy, he he is not looking for a big church. There's big churches everywhere. What the enemy is scared of and what will send him on the run is a unified church, is a church that praises, is a church that worships, is a church that is in sync and in synergy that loves God, obeys his commandments, a church where fruit is seen. There is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You better help me preach this morning because I'm preaching good. That we've got to be unified. And if we're unified, it doesn't matter if we have 45 or 445, God can do something powerful. And what you have to realize is in Exodus chapter 17, it is a ragtag band of brothers who has never fought, who is coming fresh off of of being enslaved, and now they're about to go to battle on God's behalf. You can't tell me that this is the likely situation, but don't we know who our God is, that he takes unlikely situations, unlikely people, and he does a miraculous work through them. 
So we see the battle take place, and we see that Moses tells Joshua it's time to fight. We see in Exodus chapter 17, you know the story. Moses goes up to a hill. Two servants go with him, and Moses raises his hand. God tells him, as long as your hands are raised, you'll have victory over the Amalekites. Your hands fall down, the Amalekites will have victory. So we see the picture, and we, if you go and you'll read, what you'll see is there was a moment when Moses became tired and his hands began to fall, and the Amalekites began to advance. And so the two servants come, Moses sits down, and they hold up Moses' hands. And see, what you see here are a picture of two things the church teaches us. Number one, of, of what does it look like when you're like this? It looks like surrender. It also looks like praise. So it's a picture of praise that we've not yet won the battle, but we are praising and believing God that the victory is ours. Because I remember in Exodus chapter 14 that God said, stand still, don't be afraid, see your salvation, I will fight for you. So this is the mindset that they're now in, that God is fighting battles, that God is working with us. And so it's a picture of praise. And Joshua goes with the army. He begins to slay, begins to see victory. And we also see not only does it represent praise, but it is, again, Moses, a type, a prefigure, a prototype of Christ that in the silhouette and the shadow, because the battle went into the night, could you picture God's people turning around and they see a man with his hand stretched out up high on a rock that looks like Calvary. And it is a picture of Jesus. It is a prefigurement of Jesus that as he is on the rock with his hands lifted, one day the Son of God will be on a cross with his hands lifted and that is where our victory will come from. I mean, this is so good. When you put Jesus in the middle of the Old Testament, you can't read enough of it. So you see all of this taking place and you see the Old Testament um, prefiguring the New Testament, the Ru'awen, the Holy Spirit coming in to energize the people of God. And you see God begin to do and, and him begin to move. And there's another story I wanted to visit. Uh, because what we come to find about the power of praise, Psalm 63, it's a long psalm, but there's a part in there that says, I will lift up my hands in your name, that there's power when we lift our hands. And even practically in 2022, when you come to worship, don't be intimidated to lift your hands because it's a type of Christ. It is a way to say that Jesus reigns, he's conquered the grave, he's conquered hell, he's redeemed me, he's saved my name, that it is a bodily gesture to say Jesus is Lord in my life. But what we see take place, another powerful story of God's people where under the reign of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, um, that Israel started to see that there's power in praise, that praise is a weapon, that being uh, uh, intensely focused on the awe and wonder of what God has done and what he will do is uh, it became a military, military strategy to praise. Uh, you'll see in Second Chronicles 20 that as they were uh, about to head into battle, God's people, uh, you'll see in verse 21, if you put it up, it says that they had consulted with the people. And it says that they appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and we're saying, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Now, could you imagine a military strategy? Yes, we send the archers out. Yes, we send the artillery out. But in the front is going to be those praising and worshiping God. So they saw that there was power and that there was a weapon in their praise. And they went forth. They said, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Verse 22, look what happens. It says, as they began to sing and to praise, look what God did. He said, an ambush against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. So their praise uh, got God involved and sent an ambush. And what you love is you're praising in your car when you walk out of here that God is sending an ambush 
on our spiritual enemy, Satan, on your behalf that no weapon formed against you shall prosper because you've got a revelation of praise. What if some things change in your life because you got your praise back? Because you praised in the battle, you praised ahead of the battle, and even the most sweetest praise is you praised before the battle. Because that takes real faith, not pretension. Oh, I got caught, or oh, this is what I need to do, so I do it out of duty, versus I'm doing it in a heart of faith. That I'm going to praise before the battle ever happens, before the war is ever at my front door. So we see that they begin to destroy one another. And as they destroyed one another, it says that Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness and they looked toward the multitude and they saw the dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat in verse 25 said, his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them, this is how good God is, they found abundance of valuables on the dead bodies. They found precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were there three days. Could you imagine three days just gathering spoils of what the enemy had taken? And it was all connected to their praise. And see, we live in a world today that has its own ideology. We talked of last week that we are in a war of ideas, of the gods and the demigods of our society rearing their heads, demanding to be worshiped. And if a generation, if a church doesn't know who the one true God is, then we're, what is paganism? Paganism is a little bit of God, a little bit of the world, a little bit of stuff, a little bit of idols. You put it in a pot, you stir it up, and you eat it for dinner. And the world will always revert back to how it was. And we are in a cycle of reverting back. And if you not, are not awake, if you are not aware of what is happening, you are going to fall into a spirit of paganism that says it's okay to do a little bit of this, it's okay to do a little bit of that. That Egypt always, as you read God's word, always represents the world and its systems. Israel represents the kingdom and the church and uh, the place of where God dwells, the apple of God's eye. And there is a, a battle for us to either be in Israel or for us to either be in Egypt. And the battle predominantly is for um, a young generation. I say all the time, we are a church of all generations that is passionate about reaching the next generation. So a lot of the vision, a lot of what we do here is always gonna re be to reach the next generation. And we've got to be aware and understand that we're not mean about it, we're not uh, belligerent about it, but there is a battle of ideologies to lift itself above the person in the name of Jesus that says this is the way to freedom. This is the way to uh, be your true self. This is the way to sexual freedom. This is the way to um, a conscience that is not seared or a conscience that is free. And a generation is eating this like it's cake because the church is not standing up and addressing the things that is being shoved down their throat. And as we look at the power of praise and as we look at what is happening here, the underlining process is God is trying to get Egypt out of God's people. That it's not just to get them free and say, have a great life, live happily ever after, but they were set free and then they were taught how to live free. That's when the commandments were given. These gifts, these ways of how we have relationship with God that there was... Ten Commandments of how you live in Egypt, but these are Ten Commandments of how we live as Israel and become and build a nation. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. It says, we talked of this during our talk on worship. It says, let us continually, perpetually offer a sacrifice of what? Praise to God. That it is the fruit of our lips. What's the fruit of your lips? Again, is it praise? Or is it complaining? Is it cursing? Is it uh, a, a tongue that doesn't honor God? And it says, do not forget to do good and to share for which such, such sacrifices God is well pleased. See, pr your praise is precious in difficult times. It's like oil that is pressed. 
And I believe there is a praise that uh, through this whole pandemic that we've not yet even seen, that it's just been a time of pressing in a wilderness. And when we see God do and revive and move, that there's going to be a praise that comes, a sound that comes that is going to reveal who God is and what he's doing, and it's going to be undeniable. See, praise is an act of radical trust. When we say the victory is his, and quite honestly, in the middle of your battle, praise releases God's power in the situation. See, when you're not praising, you're most likely complaining, and you harden your heart, you stay off to yourself, you stay isolated, your life isn't open, your heart is not open, you're bitter, you're fearful, and you're giving no room for God to be released in your life, for the presence and person and power of God to be released. Well, praise opens you up for God to begin to move, to begin to shift your mindset, to begin to shift your attention and to shift your focus back on him. You got to be in the right disposition and praise is the beginning of that, that opens you up for him to act. Because before God's people praised, what did they do? Complained, murmured, all of these things. And this leads us into our second and final. So number one, the battle is the Lord's. Number two, of what we learn from a desert generation that will rob you from the blessing of God. And really this is the counterpart and the contrast is murmuring. We've already talked about it a little bit. So we have God fighting your battles, but what will collapse, what will destroy, what will put a wet blanket on the fire of God in your life is a spirit of murmuring. What is murmuring? Well, it sounds a little something like this. Did you see what they did? Oh my gosh, I can't believe they were that today. Complaining, murmuring, chattering, shut up right? How quick are we to murmur? How quick are we to gossip? How quick are we to put our two cents, our own opinions, when God is saying, shut your mouth? What did he say previously? Be still. That can probably be translated in my version of shut up, right? That there is power when you shut your mouth and you open your ears. And we are a generation that loves to murmur on social media, that loves to go to battle with our thumbs. We love to murmur at authority. We love to murmur at each other. Again, we are a murmuring generation. And if we can learn anything from God's people, what kept them from the promised land was a spirit of murmuring. And we do it so frequently and so freely and carries no weight. We just say it, someone deal with it. We post it out there, who cares? It's my truth, my feelings. Someone needs to know. We're never called to vent, we're called to lament, we're called to pray. We have a generation that just vents everywhere for everybody to see. Instead of going to the places and the spaces where it's safe, where healing can happen, to air your grievances, to vent, to go up to authority, not lateral. All of these places of authority have been so diminished and destroyed that it's just a free-for-all and everyone murmurs and gossips and you set yourself up to be a target and you don't even realize it because you can't close your mouth or you can't go to the right space to deal with the issue, to deal with the circumstance. And if I've seen anything in pastoring in six, almost seven years, is murmuring will destroy a church. Murmuring will destroy a family. Murmuring will kill your destiny. And it actually does kill God's people's destiny. And so we've got to see the weight that if this is what is brought out of the exodus, out of the desert generation, then we should take notice. What happens? They're thirsty. They murmur. They're hungry. What do they do? You know it. They murmur. They complain. And not only do they complain when they're thirsty and hungry, they have too much of the same supernatural provision of food. What do they do? They still murmur. Numbers 11.5 says this. It says, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. Who even knows what a leek is? The onions and the garlic. 
that it was given freely in Egypt. But the supernatural provision of manna in the wilderness, God set us free. Who cares? It's old, bland, tastes the same. So it shows, and you can even tie this story into when Jesus says, at the Lord's table with communion and supper, do this in remembrance of me. Because he knows as people, our memory is awful. We forget our attention span is so short. And so we have to keep the things of God in front of us or we will get way over here in a moment that we never knew would take us there. That's why the importance of gathering in God's house around God's people with God's word and God's spirit will save your soul and save your family. So they murmured at supernatural provision. Could you imagine murmuring at supernatural provision? Well, they did, and they did it collectively. Psalms 95 uh, speaks to this, and its preface is a call to worship and obedience. And it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. So we see a spirit of praise. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. His hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, he, for he made it. And for his hands form the dry land. So what is it doing here? Praise is telling of who God is. They're reminding themselves of the creator. It says that, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his land. Hear this right here. Today, if you will hear his voice, not the voice of a murmur, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So it's going back to when God's people rebelled. Psalms is reliving this. Think of the Exodus, the desert generation. Don't harden your hearts as those people did. Learn from them as a mentor. Don't make the same mistake. As in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me and they saw my work. Let's not test God in this area. They tested him. He was still gracious and compassionate. It says, for 40 years, he was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. I love verse eight. It says, don't harden your hearts. When God comes to you, if you have a hardened heart, you're not gonna hear it. And see, we have a, a people and we can be in places in our life where we have a hardened heart when he's, knocking and he's trying to get our attention but praise is far from our lips but murmuring is close complaining is is close and we have a hardened heart that he can't break through so we see that these classic examples of God's people murmuring getting out of Egypt and the attitude and the mindset that they had you fast forward to the place of where um, uh, the story in Numbers when uh, they're at year 39, they're in the place of Kadesh, the Bible says, and they're at the fringe of their breakthrough to get into their promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And we see that the word of Moses from God was that they were to send 10 spies into the land to go and scope it out. Which first, why would you need to send 10 spies into the land when it's the land God promised you? But this is what we do, reservation, divided heart. Is God's word really true? Is he really good? Is the promised land really what he said it would be? Now the 10 spies go in, eight come back, and what do they say? They say that there's giants and we're like grasshoppers with these giants. We have no chance to to survive. It, it, this is not what God promised. How are we going to make this work? And fear comes into God's people once again. But there's two spies who have yet to give a report, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb come. They say the same thing. Yes, we, we get it that they're, we're like grasshoppers among these giants. But let's not fear. This is God's promised land. This is what he's given us. If he said that he's going to fight our battles, if he's told our ancestors to be still, trust God, and see your salvation, 
it's year 39, we're at the moment of our breakthrough, why would we not trust God now? So you would think this rallying cry from Joshua and Caleb that they would get it. But what happens? They don't. They complain. They murmur. Numbers 14, let's look. It says, so the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, not in a voice of praise, which they should have. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if we only had died in the land of Egypt, is it really that bad? Or if only we had died in the wilderness. So again, we see Egypt, infancy, wilderness, elementary, two seasons, two places where God taught them. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's get a new leader. That's what always happens. When we're done with one leader, we turn on that leader. We go get a new church. We go get a new word. We go get something that feels good in the moment because I'm not getting what I know God is trying to get to me. I'm telling you, I'm just saying it like I feel it and like I see it. Amen. So again, they're back in the same mindset of complaining. And what we have to see here, I wrote this down, murmuring is a direct contradiction to what God's word says of how we're to respond in faith. See, this was a moment of their faith to be tested. Are you really gonna trust God or are you gonna trust what your eyes see? Because if you always just go by your physical eyes and not the eyes of faith, you're never gonna see the fullness of what God is trying to do in and through your life. You will always see the giant and you will always see yourself as less than, as the grasshopper. You'll come back, it says they came back with a cluster of grapes so large that they had to carry it on a pole. You'll think, I can't eat that, that's not food for me, that won't nourish me. And we could go on and on and list every excuse in the book. But what I'm trying to get to you today is if you can begin to see the power of praise if you can begin to rebuke the spirit of murmuring on your life, stop complaining about your health all the time, stop complaining about your wayward kids or your grandkids, get up and begin to thank God for their salvation, begin to trust God, stop inflicting and injecting fear into your family and inject a little faith and see what God could do. So we see God's people complain and I mean, the story ends that God, Moses intercedes for them, but God's people are not allowed to enter in. And the word of the Lord says that your generation is going to have to die off. It says the carcasses of your bodies are going to have to the ground and the next generation can go in. So complaining and murmuring literally destroyed them of their destiny. Now, Moses interceded for them. And in the intercession of Moses, they were saved by a good, gracious God, but the consequence of their sin, they were not allowed to enter in. And this is what's tough, is many times we use and abuse grace, but there's going to come a point where you can't abuse grace anymore. Because grace ultimately is not just a covering, it is an empowering to win against sin. And we have a generation that just looks for every way out. I'll ask for uh, forgiveness, I won't ask for permission that I'll do what I feel like doing, and then if it doesn't work out for me, I'll then get right with God when I'm ready to flip the switch. But this is not the grace that we see in the Bible. It is an empowerment to win against the vices and to put holy habits and virtues that grace wants to build and establish. I wanna end with this, Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Again, this is where Hebrews visits the desert generation and brings these lessons forth centuries later. It says, brethren, beware, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But this is what we have to do. This is the way we praise, and this is how we defeat a spirit of murmuring. We have to exhort one another daily. When's the last time you've encouraged someone? When's the last time you've exhorted somebody? When's the last time one... So you got behind somebody and said, you're gonna make it, you're gonna do it. Here, have some faith, borrow my faith if you don't have any. And it says, 
Do it while today is called today, lest any of you be hardened. So here's where we see that hardened heart again. Don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So when you get deceived by sin and you practice sin and live in sin and are complacent with sin, it hardens your heart. It's a side effect of sin. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ. So we're, he's reminding them, this is who you are. You're a partaker of Christ. You're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So don't throw in the towel. Iron sharpens iron. Don't give in. Don't give up. But keep fighting. Keep trusting God. Yes, God will fight your battle, but don't put your sword down. Armor up and get ready for what God wants to do. And we do this and we defeat this through praise. And a sub point of praise is through exhorting one another. Quit complaining in your marriage. Encourage in your marriage. Quit complaining to your kids. Encourage your kids. Quit complaining to your boss. Go in there and say, you're an awesome boss. And encourage your boss. I'm telling you, if you, these are the weapons of our warfare. And as simple as it may be, we've got to be reminded of this because in a post-COVID world, this new normal, everyone is short-tempered. Everyone is, has a short wick. It is so easy to complain and deconstruct and criticize and tear something down versus to get behind something and build it up. Deuteronomy 6, 2 through 9. You get to this picture. And the book of Deuteronomy is actually Moses' farewell address. It's a long letter. It's a long address. But Moses had a lot to say. But this was his heart, and this is what he came back to. That if you get anything, to not repeat your ancestors, not repeat this desert generation. He says, please, that you may fear the Lord your God. Keep his statues, keep his commandments, which I have commanded you, your son, your grandson, all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear Israel and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And these words which I command you today, you got to get them in your heart. But if you have a heart in heart, you're not going to get them in there. You got to open up and let the Spirit of God soften. It says you got to let them be in your heart, or it's just going to be dead religion to you. It says you got to teach them diligently to your children. I wanna pause here and again, I'm gonna bring current events in of what is happening in the world so that you're awake to the battle at hand. I came across an article and it was on July 21st of 2021. And it was from a San Francisco gay chorus men's ensemble, hundred of gay men that wrote these songs. And uh, maybe you, you heard it, but it caught a lot of flack and heat of the lyrics in one of these songs. And I want to pause there at children. I want to read the lyrics to the song because this is a part of Egypt that is coming so subtly, but also so boldly to take and to rob and to kill and destroy the purpose of God on our children. This was a song of the lyrics. And it said this, it said, you think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead and live lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once you are correct. We'll convert your children. It happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, warn about San Francisco, make them wear pleated plants. We don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. We'll change their group of friends. And just like you worried, and the lyrics go on and on, but it's this song that just says, we don't care. We're loud and proud about this agenda that your biggest fear is we're coming for your kids. Well, we're gonna tell you this is what we're doing. And there's this agenda, these ideologies 
that you've got to be awake to because if you're not, your kids are, and it's what's coming for a generation. And again, this is why I passionately care um, and I passionately thank God for Christian education because our kids can be disciple and there doesn't have to be this sexual ideology trying to cram down the throats of our kids, but they can be raised up in the admonition of the Lord and not torn to the left and not torn to the right, but that the kingdom of God can be implanted in their heart. They can have a biblical worldview. They can have apologetics to when they go into the world. And we say all the time, this is not a place where we hide kids. And when I say the school, it's the church too, because the church has the same mission as what we're doing in the school. That's why it's important your kids are in church. It's because if they aren't equipped with a biblical worldview, the world's ideology, it has way more money behind it. All you have to do is turn on Disney Plus and the LGBTQ plus community and, and content that is so prevalent in there. It's subtle. Sometimes it's loud. But if you're not aware, there's money and corporations all behind these movements that if you don't shut up or join the team, you get canceled. Um, and we've got to see, and then going back to the story of Moses, there's all these ideologies. There's all these culture wars, wars happening. But Moses reminds them, if you don't want to repeat Egypt, if you don't want Egypt to get back in your kids again, because quite frankly, it's one generation away. If you don't do your job as a parent, as a grandparent, if I don't do my job as a pastor, we will lose a generation. We talked of last week, the, the movement of the sexual revelation, sexual revolution was put in place, not for that generation, but for three generations into the future where the fullness of the effects were felt. So he says that you've got to teach your children. Go back to verse six, look what it's, or seven, look what it says. It says, how do you teach them? You gotta talk to them when you sit in your house in the everyday. Don't let a teacher teach them, though they will. Ultimately, it's your job. Teach them. Talk to them as you sit in the house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand what you do. That's what it means here. What are you doing with your hands? They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, how you think, what you do, how you think. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is the gates? It's the marketplace. It's the public sphere. It's not just what we do here. It's what we do out there. This is how God's people fortified themselves from pandering and falling to the spirit of the age, to the spirit of the world, and staying true to God's word. But not just staying true to God's word, being missionally minded about it, where we just don't rally and hoorah and praise for truth, but we go and we be the hands and feet of Jesus. And to the LGBTQ community, guess what? We be the hands and feet of Jesus. To paganism, we go and we be the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't get fearful and say, I can't touch that because it's too dark. Guess what? You're a light. Guess what? You're salt. You step into it and you change it. We live in a world, again, it's not Acts chapter 2, it's Acts chapter 17 that says you've got a reason, you've got a debate, you've got to be versed, you've got to answer. And if the enemy can keep you dumb, if he can keep you ignorant, if he can keep you scriptureless and wordless, then you're just going to sit by idly and think that something magical or supernatural will happen, though it can but he puts this responsibility on us to do something about it. I'm telling you, as we move forward, this, these messages have been prophetic. Get your praise back. Start opening your mouth. Don't look at the future and see fear and see uh, a situation that God has not equipped you for. We're here for such a time as this. God knew the generation and the time that you would be born into. And guess what? You're here. The time is now. Let's not stand back idly, but let's trust God. Be a loving disciple, but don't compromise because of hurt feelings. Don't compromise because someone might come back at you. Hold your ground, but do it in love and do it knowing the spirit of God is with you. If you stand, I wanna pray. And as we pray, I want them to just sing over us that every victory is his that the word of God to you today is to stand still, 
to not be afraid and see your salvation. As you bow your heads, I want you just to bring the battle that you're in, the circumstance that you're in, bring it to the front of your mind. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe you're fighting a generational spirit. Maybe it's temptation that's trying to overtake you, bring you back into an unhealthy, sinful cycle. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, uh, a spirit that's trying to keep you in a place of fear. Maybe it's even something, a subtle idol like we've been talking about that you just keep alive just a little bit for when you need it. Holy Spirit, right now, we thank you that you're in this place. God, as we stare at the Red Sea, as we see our enemies behind us, God, we thank you that a wind can begin to blow. And as that wind blows, a miracle can happen. God, I pray for every family, every parent. God, I, I thank you that victory is on the horizon. That we not be at year 39, that we not be in that moment of when we're about to enter into the promised land and we murmur, we complain, we give our voice to the enemy and not to our heavenly father in praise and in worship. God, it's the praisers that went first that then unleashed an ambush on the enemy and then they went and gathered for three days the spoil. Let us just feel the weight of the moment here and see the power when we open up our mouth and worship and praise, when we live a lifestyle of worship. God, we believe that the captive can be set free. That those with sexual identity issues can come into who they were created as male and as female. God, we thank you that mindsets that are so shackled by Egypt and by the world, that idols can break in your presence. God, that we not complain, that we not want to pick a new leader, that we not do all the things we do in our flesh that God's people did, that we were told to learn from is a type and a prototype of what not to do. God, let us not repeat those mistakes, but let it be a mentor to us today. Let us do our part in our sphere, in our world with the influence you've given us on the platforms you've placed us and the marketplaces that you've put us. God, every victory is yours. God, we don't fight from a place of, oh, is, is Jesus won? No, we fight from a place of that you've already done it. You've already won it. You've just got to change us. You've got, we've got to unlearn some things and see God, not as a victim on the cross, but he placed himself there in our place. His blood was shed so that we can be redeemed. He rose again so we can have resurrection power in this life. So Father, let the power, the person, the Holy Spirit come forth. Let the wind blow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.